Okay. So, um, okay. That shows up on your screen? Okay. So, uh, for those who are unaware, this week's double parsha is Matos and Masai, which means that we have a discussion about Nidarim, about uh, things related to uh, oaths and whatnot, oaths and uh, um, uh, vows and oaths. And uh, this is one of those topics that uh, um, I, I've never really researched in great depth, learned it, uh, you know, extensively, uh, nestled, uh, you know, in the middle of your day over there. So I thought that this would be a good opportunity to review some of the uh, the basics. So we're not addressing uh, this week, we're not addressing any particular Shiloh. What we're trying, we're, we're going to try and do is try and give ourselves just a, a, a little bit of a basic background of uh, the issues involved in the Dharan and uh, emphasize the need, as we will see, to go ahead and take some, uh, some, uh, some precautions to make sure that we don't find ourselves uh, inadvertently taking a vow and then uh, we'll be stuck, as you're going to see, with, uh, with those obligations or the need to go ahead and unravel that, uh, that, uh, that situation. So the Pasuk, which gets us going over here, is at the beginning of the Parsha. That's the first source over here. It says, Ish kidor neder Hashem, o So if a person takes any sort of vow or a, a shvua, a neder is a vow, a shvua is an oath, as we're going to see. And they, you, by doing so, you create a prohibition upon yourself. You should not profane your words, and you should make sure to go ahead and do everything uh, that you uh, you committed to do. Okay, so the easiest way, what we're going to try and do over here, all the rest of the sources up on top are all from the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch. Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, uh, as uh, very often he does, he does a very, uh, very nice job of summarizing the basics of the halacha that you need to know. And as you will see, you can see there's footnotes there. So in the footnotes, which I put down there, so we'll see some of the background, where the uh, Kitzur Shulchan Aruch is coming from, and uh, sometimes some uh, additional information which is not contained in the, in the Kitzur. So we're not going to do the entire sim in the, in, the, in the Kitzur. We'll do some of it, and we'll just, I'm not sure, you know, timing-wise, how exactly this is going to go. So it, uh, it'll be uh, fun and experimental for all of us. Okay, so Kitzur Shulchan Aruch says, Al-tihi, so we're starting from over here. It says, Alti Ragel Benidarm. We'll read the sif and then we'll go down and we'll see the footnotes. So it says a person should not become accustomed to taking vows. This is something which is not so frequent uh, in, in our times, that people intentionally take vows. We'll see inadvertently they end up doing so, but intentionally people don't take vows. In somebody who does take a vow, so it's considered to be a bad thing. It's like building a private mizbeach during those periods of time in history, like where we find ourselves now, where a bama is not permitted. You're not allowed to build a private mizbeach. Korbanos, uh, uh, during those times of prohibition, korbanos have to be brought in the central location of either the Mishkan or the Beis HaMikdash. And not only is taking the vow considered to be offensive, you may think that taking the vow is offensive, but then once you did so, you might as well follow through. But the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, according to the Gemara, says, somebody who carries out the vow, so you compound that avera, uh, that, uh, that seriousness, because now it's as if you offered a korban on that prohibited bama. 
which is a violation of the prohibition of shechting a korban outside of the base of Mikdash. Once an animal is designated to be a korban, the only appropriate venue to offer it is a korban in the base of Mikdash. And if you shecht it anywhere outside of the base of Mikdash, so that also is a serious transgression. And this is also fulfilling the vow, which you shouldn't have took in the first place, is just compounding that, uh, that prohibition. Why? Kitov yoser al because once the vow is taken, we do not say, well, once you took it already, so can't cry over spilled milk, you might as well carry out the vow. Once you've taken the vow, really what you should do is, you should go ahead and be shoel, you should be released from that vow. You should speak to a rav, and you should, be, uh, you should figure out how to go ahead and release yourself from that vow. However, this isn't true for all vows. It's like if you vow off a uh, fish or something like that. So in such a thing, so that uh, despite your opposition to fish or my opposition to fish, so you should be you should be matur netter. You should go ahead and you should get released from that vow. But this is only going to be true with regards to nedarim in general. But in the event that you go ahead and you make a vow, which is somehow related to sacred matters, let's just say for simplicity uh, in our discussion tonight, you make a vow to give tzedakah, so then it's a mitzvah to carry out that vow. Shinemar, as it says, that my, the vows which I make to Hashem, I will fulfill. And when it's a vow to do some sort of mitzvah or a vow to give, to pledge to Hektish, so you shouldn't release yourself. You, shouldn't, you should not seek release from that vow unless it's a really pressing circumstance and there's not much of a choice. But otherwise, Nidre uh, Hektish, so they should, uh, they should be carried out. Okay, so we have two things over here. One about uh, uh, not uh, becoming accustomed to taking vows. And then the second thing is to, if you did take a vow, you should seek release from it. So source number one, here in the footnote over here. So this is the Gemara Nidar. It says, now it goes at and explains, uh, it's talking about what, uh, the structure of the Mishnah, the structure of the wording of the Mishnah. But what this source, uh, source number one, a footnote number one is going to highlight for us is the difference between an oath, uh, sorry, a, a vow, a neder, which is a vow, and a shvua, which is an oath. Both of them we know are some sort of commitment that you make orally or some sort of prohibition which you create orally. What is the nuance difference between a neder and a shvua, a vow and an oath? So Gemara says, I did it on in the mitzvah So here's key phrase number one in the Gemara, that the nature of a vow is that you prohibit the item on you. In other words, you say that this piece of chocolate cake is usser to me. So what you've done is you've now made, as far as you are concerned, you've made that piece of chocolate cake a piece of trafe. Or you made a hectic or whatever, but you went ahead and you prohibited the item on yourself. So therefore, now just skipping to the end of the phrase, and this is in contrast to an oath. An oath involves where you prohibit yourself on the object. In other words, in classic like uh, Lamdesha terminology, there's Gavra and there's Chafza. There's the person and there is the object. So a nether is focused on the object itself. This object is an object of, uh, of Isser. A Shavua is where I prohibit myself from eating that object or from doing whatever that activity happens, uh, ha- happens to be. So nether is focused on the object. 
a shvua is focused on the person. Explains Zaran for those who, uh, who don't remember. So in Maseches Nedarim, we're pretty confident that the commentary on the side of the page, which says Rashi, isn't really Rashi. So one of the primary commentators which we use uh, as, we're, uh, as we go through the Masechta is the, is the Ran. So the Ran over there explains, he says, Kolomar. In other words, Sha'osar kikar alav. A nether is where you prohibit that loaf of bread on yourself. What do you say? V'omer. And essentially what the vow involves is, Achilas kikar ze alai. That there's a prohibition on me to eat this, uh, this, uh, this loaf. That this loaf is asr to me. Let me put it that way. And this is in contrast to a shvua, which is an oath, where the prohibition is going to rest on your shoulders. I am not allowed to eat that loaf. It's not that the loaf is usher to me, but I am not allowed to eat that loaf. Kolomar, in other words, you take an oath that I am not going to go ahead and eat this loaf. And now, umeha uh, mashma, and this implies, and this is a, a technical uh, thing, but he says, the, it's the last part, which is really important, says that if you cross your wires and your intent is to take a neder and you end up using shvua language, or you intended to take a shvua and you use neder language, so you cross your wires, you use the wrong terminology, so it's not going to work. Hilkach, therefore, so if you articulate, you verbalize your neder or your shavua incorrectly, so we don't care about your intent. And we'll see this again later on. The intent of what you wanted to say is irrelevant within this topic of nedarim and shavuos. It's essential what you actually do say. And therefore, if you, uh, if you end up saying the wrong thing, you use the wrong terminology, so it is just, a, it simply does not work. Can you give us uh, an example? Of what? Of which one? Of the of of changing one for the other. Um, if you say I vow, or what, what, so one of the things which is a uh, um, the the uh, uh, an application of the technical difference between a neder and a shvua, since a neder uh, makes an object usser, you can only take a neder, you can only take a vow on something which is tangible. So sleep is something which is not tangible. So if you say, I vow that I'm not going to sleep. So that doesn't work. Because uh, in order for a vow to take effect, it has to take effect on a, an actual object. And sleep is not something which is, a, which is an object. A sleep can only be, you could say, I will not sleep. But you can't say sleep is usher to me. Because sleep is not a tangible object. So if you use nether language on something which is intangible, so that's not going to work. Okay, got it. Thank you. Um, Okay, now what's the reason why taking vows is considered to be bad? So this is the source number two, the Ron explains. So it says, it appears to me, this is where we, the Gemara and the Kitzer goes out and draws a parallel to building a Bama, building a private Mizbech, and then offering a Korban on that private Mizbech. So explains the Ron, the reason why Chazal go ahead and equate this with building a Bama, is You may think, the person who's taking the vow thinks that what I'm doing is a good thing. The Torah is going to look positively towards what I'm doing. Why? 
Asra Bemile de Isura, the Torah went ahead and uh, enumerated what it considers to be Asr. And I'm also going to go ahead and I'm going to put, let's say, further restrictions on myself, which I feel are necessary for my growth in my Avodah Hashem. So the Torah goes ahead and creates a something which is Shavu L'chol Nefesh, prohibitions which are universal, which apply to everybody. And now, in my opinion, in my circumstance, I'm going to go, I think it's appropriate to go ahead and prohibit additional things. And therefore, Chazal say, no. Taking a vow is like building a bomb, a meaning, the ka'amar detoy. So the chazal are telling us you're mistaken. Why? The adaraba, lebone bamadami. What you're doing by taking a vow is comparable to building a private mizbech, which you're not allowed to do. But the person who builds a private mizbech also thinks he's doing something good. He thinks, listen, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to have opportunities to offer sacrifice. Every morning I'm going to wake up and I'll offer a sacrifice. Don't know what the neighbors are going to think when goats are coming in and out of my yard every day. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to offer sacrifices on a daily basis. And granted, the Torah says that it's a good thing to offer korbanos in the Beis HaMikdash. But as Allah livnos but the Torah does not want you to go ahead and build your own private Mizbeach and offer Korbanos on a private Mizbeach when there is a Beis HaMikdash uh, to, uh, uh, where to offer Korbanos. And the same idea, Hachanami. Here also as far as prohibitions. Granted, the Torah went ahead and in a sense set precedent that there are things which are prohibited, items and objects which are prohibited. But but when a person individualizes, uh, individually goes out and tries to create new prohibitions, so he is behaving improperly. That's negligent. Like we say in the Yushami, we say over there in the Yushami, it's enough what the Torah asks. There's no reason you need to go ahead and create new isurim, which were not created by the Torah. There's more than enough isurim, 365 isurim in the Torah. You don't need to go ahead and start adding new ones. And you think that you're going to go ahead, it's appropriate to go ahead and ask for more things? You should not do so. Be happy. Just see if you could comply with all of the 365 isurim, which already do exist, and you don't need to go ahead and add, add additional ones. So that's why the concept of taking a voluntary vow to ask for new things is not a good thing. And we said, even if you go ahead and you do take that vow, you should not carry it out. You should seek release from that vow. How exactly you release from that vow? So we'll see uh, We'll see shortly. Okay, now back on top, Sif base. And the kids are here. The chen yisrachik mina A person, as you said, should also distance himself from taking an oath, something where he's going to asr on himself. Aval im avar v'nishbal but there's now going to be a con. This is going to be one of the differences between a neder and a shvua, a vow and an oath. That will be what happens if you did take one. So by the neder, we said that even if you did take one, seek release from that and don't uh, remain uh, obligated to uh, observe that vow. But by shvua, the halach is aval im avar v'nishbal in the event that one took a shvua, so for a shvua, lo yishal alav. When it comes to a shvua, we expect you to comply with your shvua 
even if doing so is not going to cause you pain. You didn't realize how restrictive the vow, the, the, uh, the oath is going to be. And now you're distressed by the fact that you have to comply with it. But too bad, so sad. Shenemark, as the Pasuk says, Nishbal harav yamir. That even if you took a shvur, which is going to be harmful, which is bad, lo yamir, you're not allowed to exchange your word. You're not allowed to go back on your word. Uksiv acharav. And it says afterwards, osa elo lo yimot is in Tehillim, that if a person goes out and do so, so they're not going to falter, they're not going to be removed from the world. Ve'ein nish'alim, and therefore, ein nish'alim ala shvua el They are the only time that the Rav that you're going to consult with, uh, not me, by the way, but the Rav that you're going to consult with on this, the only way he's going to release you from these matters is b'shasavchak, also in a pressing circumstance, but if you just tell the Rav, you know what, I changed my mind, I don't really think that I want to, uh, I, I want to have to carry out this Shavua, the Rav will say to you, borrowing a line from Chosh Mishpat, too bad, so sad, TBSS, because now with the Shavua, that's something that once you went ahead and you took it, so you are now stuck, you are stuck with it. Why is there a difference between a neder and a Shavua? So the Shach explains, this is in the footnote over here, this is in, in Simon Reish Gimel, Shach Siv Katan Gimel. He says, Perish, he says, the reason is, the lo Because when it comes to somebody who, who, who transgresses his oath, he makes a shvua and doesn't follow through. The Torah says, lo meaning that you're not going to be absolved from punishment. So that's already a very serious thing if you go ahead and you take a, a shvua and you don't keep it. So being that the Torah treats it more stringently than a neder, there are those who are machmer who say that when you take a shvuah, so ein lo there's no such thing as going to a rav to be released from that shvuah. When it comes to shvuah, you're locked in. You're, you're stuck with that, that, that shvuah. So that's why a neder, you should go ahead and you should make sure to get yourself released from that neder. A shvuah, in a sense, you should make sure not to get released from that neder. So if you speak to a Rav and say, I took a Shavua, can you go ahead and release me? He says, sure, I'll be more than happy to take care of that for you. So you know already that he is not a Rav who is qualified to go ahead and release you from that netter because he doesn't know the difference between release from a nether and release from a Shavua. And therefore, uh, he would not be the one who is qualified to uh, release you from that netter, as we will see. Okay. Now, Steve Gimel. Sarkhli Zar Shlo Yidor Yes. yes, yes. Why, why, can I ask? Uh, no, I just wondered why why is a netter not considered uh, as lotosifu, adding mitzvos? Like you said, we have enough isurim, why should we add more? Why is that not considered lotosifu? Right. So the, the, the mitzvah of a netter is that a, a person can create a, something which is asr for him personally. So it's not that the, you're not saying that the Torah is, lo uh, sifu uh, is where you go ahead and add on a mitzvah to the Torah, which is incumbent upon everybody. Oh. The Parsha of Nadarim says that you have the ability to create a personal prohibition on yourself. So that is one of the mitzvahs. Now, we don't want you to do so. Uh, it's considered to be wrong hashkafically to, uh, to do so. Uh, but um, it, it is something which is, the, the, it's within the parameters of the Torah to go ahead and take such a, a vow, and that vow would be binding. But your, uh, your, 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 your question is definitely spot on. When, we, uh, when Dafyomi swings back around to Nadarim, so that will be, uh, you know, that's an essential uh, 
part of the discussion about how exactly Nadarim work and the uh, the uh, the hashkafa, the uh, the perspective that we have towards Nadarim. Rabbi, yes. When we do Hataras Nadarim, it mentions Shavua also. Yes. Why? Why? If you say you're not supposed to do, uh, you know, Hataras Nadarim on Shavuos, on what? Why is it mentioned? Right. So one of the reasons why I don't know too much about uh, Nidarm, <laughs> um, despite I guess three cycles of going through the Mesechta and whatnot, but I, I've always been holding off because I want at some point um, to uh, give a shear on what exactly Hataras Nidarm is about, the one which we do air of Rosh Hashanah, and to go through the language there and to explain what exactly is happening because there's a lot of disagreements in the Rishonim related to that. So now that I am dipping my toes in the water over here, I know I'm the guy who says, uh, you've got to just jump into the cold and just deal with it. But uh, for this matter, I'm going to just dip my toes in. And if you remember to keep reminding me, sometime before Rosh Hashanah, we will have one of these Thursday night halacha shur, Mirza Hashem and Blineder. We will go ahead and we will make sure to uh, to go through the uh, the language of Hatar Sadarm and what exactly we are, we are trying to, to accomplish. So I, I don't know why a shvua, based on tonight's shir, I don't know why shvua is included over there. So we'll have to study that language a little bit. But your, your question also is, is fada. Okay, now, Siv Gimel. So a person should really be cautious not to take any vow whatsoever, but feel that tzedakah ain't tovli dor. And even when making a pledge to tzedakah, which is a mitzvah, it should not be, you know, the pledge should not rise to what it constitutes a vow. And we're going to see what exactly the vow would be uh, in a moment. That's going to be a troubling line. But but rather, if, if you, you're thinking about giving tzedakah, so if you have the means to give the tzedakah, you have the funds available, so then, so if you have the money to give, so just give it. Why take a vow if you have the money to give? Just write out the check and send it. And in the event that you don't have that mo- the money available right now to give, so uh, so wait till you do have the available funds, and then you'll give it at that point, but don't take a vow. Don't take a vow. If you have it, just give it. And if you don't have it, so don't commit yourself with a vow to give something that you don't have as of yet. Now, let's say what happens sometimes is you go to shul and they say, what's your name? And you give them the name. And then after the, the aliyah, without consulting with you ahead of time, so they go ahead and they start making shabarach, and then they pause, waiting to find out how much you're pledging to the shul for this aliyah. And it becomes awkward at that point to go ahead and say um, zero. Ephes, <laughs> the most important Hebrew word to know in that case would be Ephes. So it's embarrassing to go ahead and to, uh, to say nothing. So then vim poskim sadaka, so if there's a pledge and you have to go ahead and pledge together with them, let's say Yom Kippur appeal or something like that, where everybody's expected to give, so make sure that you say verbally, you articulate that I'm making this pledge, that it should specifically not be with, one second, it should not be with the force of a vow. Rabbi Shaffel. Yeah. Why, why would you say Bli Neder? You should say Bli Shvua. Uh, so, oh, yeah. So that when, when we see footnote four in a moment, you're hold saying, on. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. This should really not be a Neder. This should be a Shvua. Excellent. You guys are on the ball. On the Kadur. So give me one second. 
and similarly, when you say Yizker, and you go ahead, and that's the main part of Yizker, like we talk about in Shul, that the main part of it is the pledge to Tzedakah, the Nifter, in, in commemoration, is an elevation of the soul of the Nifter. Also, make sure that your Yizker pledge also is done Blineder. Now, if one is pledging tzedakah in a time of distress, so so then a person is going to be allowed to take a neder in those uh, in that circumstance. Okay, now I keep pushing you guys off over here. So what's going on with the uh, the neder? So he says that. Um, Oh no, did I not include it? Oh, yeah, hold on. Six. That was six. Okay, you're gonna have to wait till source six. Sorry. The next paragraph, we're gonna get to your question about it actually being a netter. Um, so uh, the Shach says, so you should say, uh, whenever you're going to pledge to tzedakah, so you should make sure to do a bli netter. So the Shach explains, also Reish Gimel see cut and down in the Shach. He says, what's a lomar? Below netter. So you actually want to verbalize that. You have to verbalize the fact that this pledge is being made, bli netter. Aval ein perusho, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean make sure to not say that it's a netter. Meaning don't, uh, there, there's three levels over here. There's one to say, I take a vow, then I'm going to give tzedakah. Then there's going to be a statement um, I, um, I, um, I'm giving tzedakah, and then there is, I'm giving a tzedakah bli netter. So the first one is where you say, I'm taking a vow that I'm going to give tzedakah. That's an explicit netter. That's certainly you're not allowed to do. So the shach is saying, don't think that that's the only thing which is restricted. But even simply saying, I'm pledging $500 to the shul, that also constitutes a netter, and you shouldn't do that either. But rather what you need to do is, number three is, I am pledging $500 to Shobli Netter. So you have to make sure that you say clearly that it is done without a netter. The af imposek stam, because if you simply say, I'm pledging $500 to Shul, have a netter, that itself would constitute a netter. So it's not that you need to use positive netter language in order for it to be a netter. It's the absence of saying clearly that it's not a netter automatically assumes that it is. So even giving a power of pledge will rise to the level of a nether uh, if you are not cautious and make sure to add that phrase, bli nether. That is, uh, so that is what the, uh, oh, sorry, I went to number five. So that is point number one that the, uh, that the, 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 uh, the shach says. And now we go back. We say that uh, as far as pledging to tzedakah, the reason why this is considered to be different is, now for this, we're looking in Hilchot tzedakah, we say, Once a person pledges to tzedakah, and let's just assume now for simplicity's sake, that we're talking about a pledge to tzedakah to support the poor, not necessarily a shul, but you're giving to a, an organization which is going to support somebody who is poor or somebody is 
calls you up privately and says, listen, there's somebody in the community who needs some funds. Uh, do you have uh, you know, funds which you, could, uh, which, uh, which you are willing to pledge? You say, yes, I'll give whatever amount of money that is. Once you go ahead and you make that pledge to give tzedakah for a poor person, you're not allowed to retract that, uh, that commitment. Unless you actually go to a chacham and you say, listen, uh, you try and get released from it. We'll see what the parameters of being released from it are, but you need to get formal release from that pledge. And in the absence of that, you're bound by the power of a nether, by the power of a vow to carry out that, uh, that commitment. That's why the, the, everybody says that you should be uh, very careful uh, following your Yom Kippur appeal or your Simchus Torah pledge or whenever you do those things, you want to make sure to carry them through, carry them out as quickly as you can, because uh, the more you delay, the more likely it is that you're going to forget. And there may be an issue of Balta'acher, of delaying, carrying out the, that pledge. So you want to make sure to, uh, to do so. And in order to do so, you have to ask a Chacham. So Pischei Tshuva here says a fascinating thing. He says, I in B'tshuvas Radvaz, if you look at the Tshuva of Rosh Shakasov, he says, now what's going to happen is, you're going to call the rabbi, again, not me, and you're going to say, I made a pledge, pledge to tzedakah, and I would like to be, uh, be released from it. What is the chacham, what is the rabbi going to tell you? So the, the Radvaz says that, If the rabbi releases you from that pledge, he has done something wrong, and he should go into Nidu, meaning he should be excommunicated. Why? Why should he be excommunicated for releasing you from that vow? So it's very severe. Because his decision to release you from that vow, that results in a net loss for the Anim. The Anim were going to have that $500 which you pledged. And by the Chacham releasing you from your vow, now the poor who are in need of those funds, they're out the, that money. So the Chacham is at fault for releasing you from that, uh, that vow, certainly when it's not uh, so warranted, it's not, the, it's not the based uh, so strongly. That would be a very bad thing for him to do, cause a loss. But if he does so, umikomakom hanederhuter. Even though he shouldn't have, shouldn't have released you from that vow, in the event that he does release you from that vow, you're released from the vow. So the pledge, the the, the right, the pledge uh, is no longer binding. But he did something wrong by releasing you from that uh, from that vow. So this is why it's a very serious thing to go ahead and make a pledge to tzedakah and not uh, make sure to say blinader because it becomes a very serious obligation which you have to uh, fulfill. There are people who, you know, in times when things are going well, they make all sorts of things, you know, they just close the big deal on some, uh, you know, and whatever, something they're working on. And they make a pledge of, you know, $1,000, $5,000, $10,000. And then two weeks later, they suffer a significant loss and the money which they, you know, which counteracts the, the gain which they had made two weeks ago, and then they can't follow through on their vow anymore. And that becomes a very, uh, very bad thing that now they figure, listen, I, I made the vow when I thought I had the money to be able to do so, I can afford to do so. I can't afford to do so anymore. And they just forget about it. But the, the vow is not forgotten. That's the danger of making a pledge without saying Gleneder is that the vow becomes binding. It's very difficult to undo. And just because your financial circumstance changed doesn't release you from that, uh, from that vow. And that's why one has to be abundantly cautious to go ahead and say Blinetter. Okay, now, here is the next area. Sif Dalit over here 
is the next area where people sometimes get tripped up with these halachas of vows. So the Kitzur Shechonach says, Im limud Let's say a person says, you know what? I want to go ahead and I want to do targum. I want to do the Parsha with Rasha each and every week. And they want to take a vow to that effect. Or the person says, you know what? I'm going to make a commitment that I am going to whatever mitzvah it happens to be. I'm going to go ahead and do mitzvah X. I'm not so, uh, so conscientious of that. And I'm going to do mitzvah X from now on. I'm going to bench with a bencher open in front of me. I'm no longer going to bench by heart anymore. Because And then after the person wants to make this commitment to learn, or the person wants to make sure to bench with a bencher, not saying it by heart, but he's afraid that he may get lazy. Everybody wants to go ahead and do dafyomi at the beginning of the cycle. Everybody wants a parsha's bracious. Everybody says that this year I'm finally going to do shnai mikavecha targum. I'm going to review the parsha each and every week. But we know from experience, uh, for many of us, decades of experience, that those commitments usually don't last till you know uh, parsha's noach or something like that, or certainly they don't last uh, through the end of erevin for dafyomi commitments. Or let's say a person has a very strong Yitzhahara in a particular direction and is afraid that the Yitzhahara is going to get the best of them. Or the Yitzhahara is going to get the best of you. I want to be a Chakras every day on time, but I just know the Yitzhahara is going to get the best of me and it's just not going to happen. So in those cases, in such a case, you can make a commitment that with a neder or a shvua to sort of be that uh, the uh, uh, push behind you to force you, in a sense, to carry out your commitment. So since what you want to do is a mitzvah, or what you want to do is to refrain from doing an avera, so in such a case, you could use the severity of a neder or a shvua in order to get yourself to, uh, to go ahead and carry that out. Dama Rav, as Rav says, there's a Gemara, how do you know you could take a neder? I think it was the language. How do you know that you could take, no, you could take a shvua in order to fulfill a mitzvah to be mizaris yourself, to, uh, to, uh, to push yourself? Now, even though you're obligated to do this anyways, by when you take the shvua to do the mitzvah, to get to shachras on time, or to, uh, I don't know, to... Uh, um, put in tefillin on every day, you know, let, let's say. So even though you're obligated anyways from the Torah to go ahead and put on tefillin every day, still, if you need that extra push from a neder, from the force of a neder, so that's binding. Shenemar, in the basis of this, the Gemara says is, Nishbati v'kayema lishmor mishpatei I took a shvua in order to fulfill, and I will fulfill the, uh, the statutes of your, of your Torah. And in this case, vafilu, even if, imlo amar belasho neder o shvua. In this case, where you're taking a neder or shvua for a mitzvah. So even if you do not use language of neder or shvua, you just say, you know what, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm going to review the parsha every week this year. And you didn't say with a neder, without a neder. You just said, this year I'm going to review the parsha every week. Havi neder. So that's going to constitute a neder. Umachuyav lekayim. 
and you're obligated to carry that out. So it's no longer just a nice thing that you have to do. You've now created a real binding obligation on yourself. Therefore, he says, being that commitments to do mitzvahs are, uh, happen even without saying explicitly that this is with a neder. Therefore, when a person says, this year, I'm going to do Shnai Mikra Vecha Targum, I'm going to do Parsha with, uh, with Rashi every week, so make sure to also say Bli Neder. As, as nice as it is that, the, that you're doing a mitzvah, and uh, as much as uh, you would like to go ahead and use the force of the Neder to push you along to make sure that you carry it out, it's still too dangerous to take a Neder. Vitov, and therefore, being that commitments are uh, that the rise to a level letter are a dangerous thing, so he concludes over here also based on Chazal, Vitov Shayargil Adamis Asmo Kane, a person should accustom himself to say Bli Neder, even if what you're committing to do is not a mitzvah at all. I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to go, uh, you know, shopping Bli Neder. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to cut the grass Bli Neder. So even that you should say is because we don't want a person to end up mistakenly taking vows uh, in a circumstance where the vow actually does work, does take effect, and then you're going to be stuck with this vow, and that would be bad news for the Jews. So it's a good idea to get yourself used to on a regular basis when you're making commitments, whether it's a mitzvah commitment or not, but when you're making commitments to say, like if you say, I'm going to give a shear on this topic, so you don't want it to rise to the level of a vow that you're going to give a shear on that topic of Hatar Sadarm. So it's a, it's a smart idea. It's a wise thing to get yourself in that habit that it should not rise to the level of a vow. Now, what's this Gemara over here about taking these mitzvahs? So this is in footnote number six over here. We say, V'amar of Gidl Amar Rav. Gidl, the name of Rav says, V'nayin she'in nishbayin, um, Okay, actually, the, the, the Gemara we, the, the, we essentially saw, that's what the Kitzer was uh, were quoting anyway, so we won't read that. So the Rush says, now this will get to your point, uh, Bob. So he says, So he says, So in this case, you are allowed to take a vow technically. And when, when the Shavuah is to take a mitzvah, so we're not afraid that you may end up being lax and not carrying through with your commitment. When it comes to doing a mitzvah, so then we feel more confident that you're going to go ahead and carry that out, since anyways you're obligated to do so, and therefore it is an acceptable thing. So we say that this, this idea of taking such a shvua, the language of the, the, the Gemara is, I'll show it to you over here. Rav Gidol Amarav says, Nekimar Nedar Davches says, Haomer, somebody says, Ashkim Ve'eshna Perekzeh. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to study this Perek. This Perek of Chomesh, this Perek of Nevi'im, this Perek of Mishnais, this Perek of Shas. But you make a commitment to learning and you do so with a vow. So Eshna Masechta Zu, I will study this Masechta. So the language of the Gemara is, Neder Gadol Nadar Lelokei Yisrael. This is a great vow which you took to the God of Israel. So here's where your point comes up, uh, Bob. The Rush says, also one of the commentaries on the Gemara over there, how could you say that this is a nether based on what we said? This is really a shvua because it's on you. It's not on the thing. You're not assering something on yourself. Assering something on yourself, making that object usher to you is really what a vow is. In this, you're not doing it all. You're putting the commitment on yourself. So the Rush says, indeed, lav hainu nether mamish. 
this actually isn't a netter. We're borrowing language over here. It's not a, a technical netter. In order to make something us, you have to say, this piece of chocolate cake is also like a korban. You have to connect what you're trying to answer with something which already has a pre-existing history. You're not doing anything of that sort over here. Rather, what we mean to say is, we consider it like a good pledge, a positive thing that you pledge, like a pledge to tzedakah, that the vow you take with your mouth is like a commitment to give tzedakah. So it's really borrowed terminology when we use the term neder in that, that, that context, which I, I agree with you, Bob, 100%, that in this topic where your neder and shvua is very language-specific, to go ahead and then start using language, non-specific language, throwing out term that it's a netter when it's not really a netter, so that's a little unfair and confusing, but that's why the, the rush tells us that this is, uh, that you shouldn't think that this is uh, something which is automatic, that it's a technical netter, really it would be, uh, at most, it would be a technical shvur. Okay, now um, in Sif, Um, okay, we'll do this outside, and just for the sake of time. So Sif Hay over here is talking about where a person is going to use the power of a netter as far as uh, the phrase he uses is lesakin midosov, that there's a behavior that you're involved in, that you're engaged in, which you don't like, like you're eating too much chocolate cake. So in the event that one is using eating too much chocolate cake and you want to use the power of a netter to go ahead and to uh, uh, exercise better self-restraint, so um, uh, he says, Shukhanach, uh, the kids of Shukhanach says, that nedarim of this sort, which are used for character development, so these things are uh, vows which are taken in the service of God, and such a thing, this is what Chazal say in the Mishnah in, in, uh, in Pirkei Avos, that nedarim siyag leprishus, that such a vow is a good fence in order to be able to exercise self-restraint. But, he says, even though Chazal look at it favorably, you still should not use it too often. You shouldn't become accustomed to it. And you should figure out a way to be able to battle your Yitzhahara without having to go ahead and take a vow. Okay, now in Zivav, we say the main thing is that you have to go ahead and you have to verbalize a vow for it to be binding. But if Oshahir Belibo Neder, Velo Hotzi Bisvasov, but if you go ahead and you think about making a commitment that would be a neder had you verbalize it, but Velo Hotzi Bisvasov, but you never actually verbalize it, you never articulated it to anybody, Ainzen Neder, so that doesn't constitute a neder. Now, a pledge to tzedakah which is done in mentally, that may be binding. It's important to be, uh, to be mindful of that. But any other type of netter, which you don't actually verbalize, and you don't articulate to anybody, it's just something that you thought about, so that does not rise to the level, that's not binding at all as a netter. Okay, now the last uh, thing, probably what we will do is, um, uh, the Kitzvah Shukhanach says in Siv Zayim, Mishanag medina. If somebody decides to adopt a chumrah, for whatever reason they want to adopt that chumrah, kagon, for example, 
person says, Tanios should be mea slichos. A person decides that they're going to fast every day of slichos, slichos, both leading up to Rosh Hashanah as well as between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Oh, or if a person adopts a chomer, Sholecho baso shalo lishtos yami shivasa betamos ve'ela. And a person says, the nine days of not uh, of uh, re- restraining from meat and wine is not enough. I'm going to refrain from meat and wine for the whole three weeks. So it's a chumra, or something similar. Even if you only uh, 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 follow through with that once for one year, you didn't eat meat or drink wine for the whole three weeks. But lindo kein lolam. But you planned on uh, adopting this chumra forever. In Lumaisi, you only did it once, but you planned on doing it forever. Oh, or Shanagain Shosh Pamim. Or let's say you practice the Chumra three times. You never made the mental decision that you're going to do it forever, but you've already done it three times, a chazaki, as we say to it. And you never said before uh, adopting these Chumras, before conforming to these Chumras, she hebli netter that it's going to be without a vow. Then and now you decide, you know what? I'm not so healthy anymore, or the milchiks aren't agreeing with me so uh, as much as they used to when I was younger. And you want, uh, it's too much. They have uh, just milchiks for three weeks straight. So if you want to now do away with that chumra of not having meat or wine for the entire three weeks, so you have to seek release from that vow. It constitutes a vow. So either if you do it once with the intention to adopt this chumra forever, or even if you don't intend to adapt the Chumrah forever, it may be yes, maybe no, but you've done it three times already. Both of those scenarios are considered to be a vow. And now if you want to stop doing that, you have to do Hatar Sadarm. You have to go to the Rav and you have to say, listen, I adopted this, uh, this Chumrah and I want release from that, uh, that Chumrah. And he'll go ahead and he'll, uh, you know, he'll do uh, what rabbis do in order to release you from that uh, Chumrah. He'll have a discussion with you about it and you could ultimately be, be uh, p- potentially released from it. Here in source seven, so Rav Moshe says, again, for the second time, we'll just speak it out outside. Rav Moshe says that one's behavior, a chumrah, is only, only rises to the level of a netter in the event that you are fully cognizant of the fact that this is a net, that this is a chumrah. You know that make your adin, that according to halacha, it's really permitted, and you are adopting a stringency on yourself. So then that would rise to the level of a... Um, uh, uh, of a vow. But he says, in the middle over here, there's in your he says, but let's say you were machmer about something, but you didn't realize it was a chumrah. You thought that it was obligatory. You thought you had to go ahead and do that. Or if you thought that at least it's a machlokas, and it's appropriate to be machmer, you thought there's a doubt about the matter, and you thought, and you thought that maybe the people who are lenient are being lax in their observance, because really when there's a suffix such as this, everybody should be machmer, and it turns out that you were wrong. It turns out that you mistakenly thought that this was aser. So in such a case, he says, Moshe says, if it turns out that you were wrong and you thought that this was the halacha, or you thought that you were obligated to do so, and it turns out that you were mistaken, so then that does not rise to the level of a neder, and you don't need hatar in that case. So a practice 
which be rises to the level of a neder, only applies when you knowingly adopted a chumrah, which you are fully aware is technically permitted, and you just wanted to be machmer about this particular thing. So Kol Nidre doesn't work? So that also, Kol Nidre and Hatar Sadar, we're going to go ahead and we're going to, uh, to put together. It may cover you. But, uh, but yeah, so we'll, we're going to cover that again sometime before Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, Bli Neder. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll cover those, uh, the, the, those topics. Um, okay, and I guess we'll have to hold off with, uh, with this. So the last paragraph over here is, he talks about how you get released from a, a, a Neder. We'll just read it very quickly. So it says you have to go to three B'nai Torah, one of them being somebody who is a Baki B'chos so one of the three on the panel has to be well-versed in these halachas. And you have to say, um, uh, and you have to uh, be, uh, you have to be mater net, or you have to go ahead and you have to seek release from that vow, uh, which is essentially that, um, the Hatar Sadar, we'll just do this one line. He says that what's required is you have to ex- uh, um, express regret for having taken the vow, and specifically, the highlighted section is You have to regret the origin of the neder, meaning You have to be able to say that I wish I had never taken this neder. But if you say, you know what, the neder served me well for five years, and moving forward, it no longer serves me well, that's not harata, that's not a regret, that's not a, a basis to go ahead and release a person from the neder. The harata, by definition, means that you have to regret from the very outset that you ever adopted this practice in the first place. And that's what has to be, that's why one of them has to be a tamil chacham who knows these halachas to be able to figure out whether the person's regret for having taken the netter is sufficient to be able to release you from the netter, or you're going to have to seek some other way, some other avenue to be released from the, uh, from the netter, but that all gets uh, technical, and maybe we will save that, uh, this part of the, uh, the, the discussion for that, uh, the Hatar Sadarm Kol Nidre discussion that Blinetta we will have sometime uh, as we get uh, closer to Yadav. Okay, but hopefully this is a, uh, a good introduction to, uh, to Nadarm, Nadarm and Shavuos, and it will be enough to remind everybody that we're making commitments towards learning or towards mitzvahs, and certainly pledges of tzedakah, to be mindful that it should always be done with the phrase, Bli Neder, so that you don't get stuck uh, having to, uh, to call the rabbi only to expose his ignorance about these matters, and then tell you to call uh, somebody else who will be able to, uh, to help. All righty. Thank you, Rabbi. All, all right. your other local Orthodox rabbis. All the other local Orthodox rabbis. <laughs> O-L-O-R, other local <laughs> Orthodox rabbis. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good Shabbos. Thank you. Have a good Shabbos.